So just a heads up before we start today's show, there is one moment where you will hear a curse word. So keep that in mind if you're listening in the car with a little kid. But in any case, you'll enjoy this one. Okay, here we go. Basically, you take four air filters. You have to be MERV 13 air filters because that's the level of protection you want. (laughs) And uh, you use a lot of duct tape. You duct tape these four filters together. Lena's son is a national health reporter at The Washington Post. And having covered the pandemic now for three years, she thinks a lot about viruses and what we can do to keep them at bay. That's why this holiday season, she is taking matters into her own hands. Her family is coming to visit, so she's making a DIY air filter. Of course, the funny (laughs) part is, I have never built anything. (laughs) This is like home improvement with Lena (laughs) in this box. The concept is not difficult. It's just, you know, I can see myself getting all wrapped up in duct tape. (laughs) From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, December 20th. Today, we turn to Lena to find out how to stay healthy during the holidays. We'll hear what we need to know about the recent rise in cases of COVID and other viruses, and what the CDC says when Lena presses them on it. So, Lena Sun. The reason that you're here is because you report on the pandemic, on public health, and we are having this conversation about how we should be thinking about COVID going into the holidays. One thing that I noticed in my life is that now that it is like the third COVID Christmas, I have like a holiday COVID routine, which has evolved over the years, but that as I was getting ready for, you know, family coming, thinking about the menu for Christmas Eve dinner and buying a Christmas tree, I was also like, oh, I got to stock up on COVID tests. I got to make sure I get my booster. I got to think about like, let me go through and uh, and see like what are the, the COVID expectations of all the people who I'll be having dinner with during the holidays. So maybe you can talk a little bit about your holiday COVID routine. So I am one of the few people I know who has not yet had COVID, knock Hmm. wood. For real. For real, (laughs) right? And um, I really hope that I don't get it. I don't want to get it. So I have been wearing my mask every time I go into the grocery store when I'm in crowded places, especially in places where I don't know the status of the other folks. I've had dinner parties. People have come over for Thanksgiving. But we knew the status of everybody who was coming, and the people with little kids test it. You know, the little kids are really the bioreactors of virus transmission. Hmm. We're going to have a smaller gathering for Christmas, but for Chinese New Year, which will be in January, I'd like to have people over. So some of the protocols we do, and this is something people can do for their everyday lives, does not involve getting a shot or anything. Improve your indoor air ventilation. Crack open the window just a little bit to get cross ventilation. Turn on your kitchen exhaust fan, because that will pull air out. Turn on your bathroom exhaust fan, because that moves the air around. And keep them on for like maybe an hour after your guests leave. And then something else I want to do this winter is to build my own indoor air filter with HVAC filters and a box fan. I cannot wait to ask you more about this DIY air filter box fan. Before we get there, 
Where are we at right now with COVID cases? So I think generally COVID is trending up based on hospitalizations, test positivity, and wastewater detection. And older adults remain at the highest risk of severe illness, but only about 34% of people over 65 have received the updated booster. So, you know, these are the most vulnerable people in nursing homes, long-term care facilities, who really need to get this protection. And the overall context is that, you know, as I said earlier, we have three highly contagious viruses sickening adults and children around the country. COVID is one of them. RSV and flu are the other two. RSV seems to be peaking, but flu is here and very aggressive. And what I think you're going to see with the upcoming holiday travel is that flu will continue to spread geographically, and especially from the kiddos to other folks, older folks. And I just wanted to make another point about flu. We have flu every year, except the last two seasons, we didn't have it because we took all these other precautions. Mm -hmm. So it's hitting us early and so far really hard. So far this season, there have been at least 13 million illnesses, 150,000 hospitalizations, and 9,300 deaths. And that includes 30 kids who have died from flu. Let's talk about boosters, because I think, as you said, that is a big thing to put on the list of priorities for ways that you can protect yourself right now. But the last time that my colleague Alahe talked with you, there were still some questions still about how this booster was actually going to work in the real world, how effective it was going to be. What have we learned since then about how well these boosters are preventing serious infections and complications? There is now real-world data that shows that getting this updated booster cuts your risk of going to the hospital, your risk of going to the ER or urgent care by half. And if you're older, 65 and older, it cuts it by 70 to 80 percent. That's pretty strong data. And the way they did the study may be such that those estimates are even conservative. Now, of course, the virus is very tricksy and it is always evolving. And this Updated COVID booster is formulated to protect against some of the more recently circulating viruses. But because the virus is always ahead of the vaccine, you're seeing new variants crop up. But uptake— like, like, When you say we're seeing new variants crop up, like— when it, This was a, initially against BA4 and BA5. Mm-hmm. And since then, there have been son of BA5. I, my brain immediately goes back to this moment last year when we were heading into the holidays and then out of nowhere, it feels like this Omicron, Omicron, we were all arguing over how it was pronounced, um, you know, that that really derailed the holidays. And do you see that happening this year? Are there variants on the horizon that you think could really change the game for things right now? Or is there a sense that whatever is out there, this booster especially, seems like it's pretty well equipped to at least prevent it from wreaking havoc? I think the sense that the scientists have is that the cousins of the current circulating variants that are now cropping up are still sort of descendants from that same family tree and that therefore the vaccine has enough protection so that it still works against these new up-and-coming guys to protect you from severe illness. One thing that is troubling to a lot of people is happening in China. They lifted the lockdowns. They lifted the zero COVID. And, 
you're already beginning to see cases and hospitalizations go up. And the thing about the virus is, in China, they haven't had a lot of vaccination, so there's not a lot of population immunity. And then what will happen if the virus rips through all of these people, especially their older people are not as well protected? The more chance that the virus gets to replicate, the more chance it will produce other variants. Maybe those variants will be more transmissible. We don't know. Maybe they will be more lethal. We don't know. But it's something that people need to keep an eye on. Hmm. Then what about the uptake of the boosters? Like, how many people are actually choosing to go out, make an appointment at their local CVS? I got this done at Walmart last week, and I felt good about it. I was like, okay, this is a thing that I'm doing to make sure that I'm, like, ready to go when my family gets here. Are other people making that decision now? Well, it looks like not enough people are making that decision because only about 14% of people five years and older have gotten the updated booster. Really? And that's, yeah, that's the overall number. Yeah, it is really low. And presumably, like, this isn't a reflection of people who don't believe in vaccine. I mean, these are people who, or in many cases, are people who have already been vaccinated several times for COVID already, but that they're just not getting this last one. Like, why? Well, people think, I am so over this. I've already gotten sick. I've already gotten vaccinated. They don't feel like there's any need for it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the group that has the smallest coverage right now are the little kids, right? The FDA and the CDC just signed off on an updated COVID vaccine for this group six months through five years. But fewer than 5% of children four and younger have completed an initial series of the coronavirus vaccine, and fewer than 10% have received even a first shot. And if you think about it, little kids may not get as sick, but guess who they're going to spread it to? And this is what happens in daycare. Then maybe your kid's not sick, but somebody else is sick. Daycare says you can't send your kid to school. Mm-hmm. You have to stay home because you can't work. It really, really stinks for working parents. So what you're saying is that even if you're, like, not existentially afraid of getting COVID, maybe you've had it already, and you're like, do I really need this booster? That getting the booster helps especially the little kids around you, and making sure that they don't get sick helps everybody else. It helps everybody else. But what about long COVID? There has been so much frustration over the last three years about the lack of information about how long COVID works, what actually are the symptoms, like how can we try to treat people who are experiencing long COVID. Have there been any developments on that? Just last week, a study was released by the CDC that found more than 3,500 Americans died of long COVID-related illness in the first two and a half years of the pandemic. Mm. Now, this represents a very small fraction of the one million deaths from coronavirus. But the data reinforced the danger of ignoring the lingering symptoms that many patients say they have and their physicians have dismissed. There are some limitations with this study, but it certainly shows the need for further research because it's the first sort of stab at a death number. Hmm. You know, I think at some point COVID will lessen, you know, and be percolating maybe to lower levels. But long COVID, that is going to be with us for years and years. I think that a lot of people right now are having these similar conversations around how am I going to do the holidays this year? The pandemic is still a thing. COVID is still around. And yet I think the appetite now for 
sacrificing spending time with your family for, I would say, most people just isn't there. Like, we've gone through this a lot, and people want to be with the people they love for the holidays. I know that you talked to the director of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky. She came to The Post recently, and you were interviewing her about what is her advice around the holidays. So talk to me a little bit about that interview, the questions you asked her, and what she said. So Dr. Walensky came to The Post for a meeting with us. Maybe we could just quickly go around the room yeah, so please. Dr. Walensky knows who's here. Um, and in the roundtable that we had, right, at well, one point, three of us jumped in to ask a question. She was like, whoa! <laughs> Got to keep her on her toes. Um, when we make these recommendations, they're not always adhered to, right? Because if they were, then we'd have more people vaccinated. The CDC has been pretty careful in what it has been telling folks. So her suggestions were basically get your vaccine, get boosted if you're eligible, and use your common sense. Hmm. First and foremost is prevent that which you can prevent in your you and your family. So getting your updated COVID booster and um, getting your influenza vaccine. Those are available. They're, at least the COVID one is free. That is prevention item number one. Item number two, do what you can to protect yourself. Don't go out when you're sick. Don't be around people who are sick. Cough into your sleeve. Go to well-ventilated places and wear a mask. In, in areas of high COVID-19 community levels, we said in areas in the airport, I've never, I've never flown without wearing a mask and I'm often, you know, our CDC guidance has never changed on that. I think she is making the basic common sense recommendations. Should you get sick, present to your provider because we have real underutilization of therapeutics that work. A lot of folks are worried about taking Paxlovid, which is a medication that really can reduce your severity and make you get better faster. But I think there are so many stories about people rebounding with infections. In fact, that's what happened to Rochelle. It's what happened to Tony Fauci. It's what happened to President Biden. Mm -hmm. But doctors still say that it really does improve your chances of having less severe disease. You have to get it early on, though. Um, antivirals for flu are also important and can be taken, but they also have to be taken in the early days. Well, you bring up masks. Obviously, we've had so many conversations over the last few years about the effectiveness of masks, why masks really work. But I think that there are a lot of people who will be listening to this who will say, like, look, I wore my mask diligently for the first year, year and a half, maybe two years. At this point, like, I don't always wear it to the grocery store anymore. I don't always wear it on the plane. Like, I, you know, that, that like, I'm just tired of having to do this. And I guess... I guess I wonder both what your advice is, but also what is the CDC saying right now about masking and when we should be masking and why maybe this is a time to reconsider your relationship with masks. Wearing a mask will not only just protect you from COVID, and I'm here I'm talking about a high-quality mask, but COVID is the, not the only thing out there, right? We have three highly contagious respiratory viruses, flu and RSV. Hmm. And all these things... You know, you can protect yourself with the same kind of tools that we used for COVID. And people who are cautious or leery about the COVID vaccine, you can definitely go get a flu shot. And the flu shot 
is well-matched this year to the circulating strains of flu. And pediatricians are really getting hard hit with parents coming in. As parents, working parents know, kids are getting sick from a whole host of respiratory viruses. After the break, I talked to Lena about the mask debate, why it's flaring up again at this point in the pandemic, and what the director of the CDC has to say about it. Does Alaska need to wear a mask? Does you, To have a national policy, I mean, so many of these respiratory viruses are at the local level. We'll be right back. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. So when it comes to masking at this time of the year... I think a lot of people would make the argument that, like, okay, cases are going up, hospitalizations are going up, it's the holidays. This is a time when we need to be mandating that people wear masks wherever they go. So I'm curious if you asked CDC Director Rochelle Walensky about that. This subject has been in the air, so to speak, for several weeks because we've had COVID, RSV, flu. The CDC has had numerous briefings about the rise of all of these respiratory viruses and what needs to be done. And I think the CDC is trying to find the balance. They are not able to come out and flat out say, everybody should wear masks because that's the best protection. It's just so political for them. It's so political for this administration because the country is so divided. And so she and I had a little bit of an exchange about this. So our, we don't have masking recommendations in general for flu and for RSV. We have not pre-pandemic. We didn't, you didn't see a lot of people she walking around in a mask. She was mask. citing, well, you know, she can't make a recommendation based on the aggregate data of COVID, RSV, and flu. It was a sort of evidence-based thing. Like, we don't have the evidence to show that we need to do this. So we don't necessarily always know how much is in the community. We can't use the exact same metrics. But Dr. Walensky, speaking of what you were saying before, if CDC's lesson was from the pandemic that it learns needs to be more nimble and be in the moment, this moment now is unusual because you have these three respiratory viruses mm-hmm. along with others. You have hospitalization data. Couldn't you use that data to say, you know what, based on this limited data, we recommend that everybody wear a mask because you know, it's going to protect you from all sorts of shit, all sorts of stuff. (laughs) Can you go on the record and say that? (laughs) Um, uh, So we do not get the same level of hospitalization data for influenza and for RSV that we get for COVID. And I think my point to her was I was a little bit more frustrated because, well, you don't need to have that because... You have common sense reporting every day from the hospitals. They're saying cases are going up. They're cases saying are going they're up. running out kids of Kids are in the hallway, you mm-hmm. know, because there are no beds. We know from talking to doctors that there aren't enough respiratory therapists. Why couldn't you come flat out and say it? We can make recommendations. Policies have to happen at the local level. No, no, I understand. But first, and she didn't. We are a diverse 
country, right? So that may very well be true in Northeast right now. But does Alaska need to wear a mask? Does you, To have a national policy, I mean, so many of these respiratory viruses are at the local level. The RSV may be more of a challenge in the pediatric population. So we really have made a lot of recommendations. And we said, you know... The CDC is recommending that you wear masks, but... In these certain circumstances, communities where you have a high level of community transmission, they're recommending masks or in certain indoor places, they've caveated it. But there's not going to be a broad mask mandate, not given the level of political vitriol that has taken place these last two years. My own personal view is it's common sense. You don't want to wear a mask? Don't wear a mask, you know? But are you the same kind of person who doesn't wear a seatbelt? (laughs) I don't know. I wear a seatbelt because, Mm -hmm. like, it's second nature, and why not? And so many studies have shown that masks have been beneficial. I mean, you have to wear a good quality mask. You can't be one of those people where your nose is sticking out. And um, (laughs) big gaps here and there. Big gaps, right? Flying around. Right. A high-quality mask like a N95 or N94 fitted because um, if you're a guy with one of those beautiful bushy beards that has its own orbit— it's going to let the air in. I can't tell you the number of <laughs> epidemiologists who have shaved their beards so they can wear a good mask. Are you telling people they have to shave their beards? Um, no, because then, Christmas I'm, so that then they can wear their mask. No, because you know Santa and other people will probably send me death threats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. where does Santa fit in all of this? That's the real question I'm wondering. Maybe Santa has like perfect immunity, right? He's up there in North Pole, and the virus cannot get that high. Yeah. I was wondering if you could reflect a little bit on what we should be grateful for right now from a public health perspective. I'll give you an example, which is that as I was getting ready for my parents coming and thinking about like, oh, I have to go to CVS, buy a bunch of COVID tests, so we just have them around. Like, that's not a thing. It's certainly not a thing that I could do two years ago for Christmas. It's pretty much not a thing I could do a year ago for Christmas, or it was a lot more complicated, and there were all these lines at the pharmacy, and you could only get two tests at a time. And now it seems like at-home tests are just so plentiful, and that's a really positive development. So I'm wondering what is on your radar of things that we should be really grateful for right now. We should be grateful for science because they were able to develop these vaccines in a record time. And also, if people are now used to getting rapid tests for COVID, maybe they could be used to getting rapid tests for other disease. Hmm. We have been able to use wastewater testing to look for all sorts of stuff. Unfortunately, it's not a high point in our landscape. Polio is back because that you can find it, poliovirus, in wastewater. And the advances in mRNA technology and the implications for other types of vaccines, those are all wonderful things that we can hope for. And maybe, maybe Americans will realize that you need to invest in your public health infrastructure because when public health is working, it's invisible. And it shouldn't be the first thing that lawmakers or folks decide they want to cut. You know, if you have a firehouse and you don't have any fires that year, you don't remove the firehouse. You keep the firehouse there so that it can put out fires. Mm -hmm. And maybe there will be a general acceptance of the importance of that because otherwise we are not going to be better prepared for the next pandemic. 
Selena, before we go, as promised, I have got to ask you about this air filter that you're going to be making. Um, And I know that there is a video that is going to be posted at WashingtonPost.com showing how to make this. But briefly, like, what is this thing? So this is a DIY air filter that was um, created by two folks, and it's called the Corsi Rosenthal Box. You can look it up online. <laughs> I'm absolutely going two to be. People, How uh, do you spell Corsi? C O R S I. Richard Corsi and James Rosenthal. Whoa! And it has it, a Wikipedia page and everything. Yeah, and it basically you take by four air filters. You have to be MERV 13 air filters because that's the level of protection you want. Yeah, it's, it, there's like kind of square filters. They look like the things you sort of slot yeah, into it's an, an HVAC. AC unit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you duct tape these four filters together as a box. You put a box fan on top so the air blows up. You plug it in, and what it does, it pulls in the air in your indoor space filters through these filters to get the virus and other bad stuff out Mm -hmm. through the fan. And it is a lot cheaper than stuff that you would buy online. Lena Sun, thank you so much. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Lena Sun is a national health reporter for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Alana Gordon. It was mixed by Sam Baer, and it was edited by Rena Flores. Before we go, you might have seen some big news this week. The January 6th committee in Congress has concluded that Donald Trump should be charged with four crimes. Those crimes, they say, include inciting or assisting an insurrection. They are formally referring Trump to the Justice Department, which is an unprecedented move. But it also has no legal weight. It's up to the Justice Department to decide what, if any, charges to bring. We will be keeping an eye on what happens. But in the meantime, there is a lot more coverage that you can check out at WashingtonPost.com. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen.